her mops and trays. They crowded grown children and grandchildren into their homes, which they refinanced at usurious rates. They faced speed-ups at work and cutbacks in pay. When their monthly health insurance premiums exceeded the mortgage or rent, they abandoned the insurance and fell back on Advil. As for the rich, mere millionaires and the old money sorts who favor weather-beaten summer homes in Nantucket barely qualified anymore. The upper class split into the merely affluent, who shop at Williams-Sonoma, and the uber-rich, who had others do their shopping for them, as well as their child-raising, bill-paying, servant-supervising, and party-throwing. At the pinnacles of the wealth scale, extravagance reigned on a scale not seen since the late Roman Empire. Freshly fattened CEOs, hedge fund operators, and financiers hired interior decorators for their private jets, slugged back $10,000 martinis at the Algonquin Hotel in Manhattan, and in one case staged a $2 million birthday party in Sardinia, featuring a nice statue of David urinating vodka. There was a connection, as most people suspected, between the massive buildup of wealth among the few and the anxiety and desperation of the many. The money that fueled the explosion of gluttony at the top had to come from somewhere— or more specifically, from someone. Since no domestic oil deposits had been discovered, no new seams of uranium or gold, and since the war in Iraq enriched only the military contractors and suppliers, it had to have come from other Americans. In fact, the greatest capitalist innovations of this past decade have been in the realm of squeezing money out of those who have little to spare, taking away workers' pensions and benefits to swell profits, offering easy credit on dubious terms, raising insurance premiums, and refusing to insure those who might ever make a claim, downsizing workforces to boost share prices, even falsifying time records to avoid paying overtime. Prosperity in America had not always been a zero-sum game. Early 20th century capitalists, who were certainly no saints, envisioned a prosperous people generating profits for the upper class by buying houses and cars and washing machines. But somewhere along the line, the ethos changed from we're all in this together to get what you can while the getting is good. Let the environment decay, the infrastructure crumble, the public hospitals close, the schools get by on bake sales, the workers drop from exhaustion. Who cares? Raise the premiums, reduce the wages— Add new mystery fees to each bill, and let the devil take the hindmost. Only when the poor suckers at the bottom stopped buying and defaulted on their mortgages did anyone notice them. And where were the rest of us during this orgy of accumulation at the top? What were we thinking as the invisible hand of the market reached into our pockets for our wallets? The truth is that most of us were too focused on the tasks at hand to pay much attention to what was going on with the neighbors. We were paying the bills, holding on to the job, occasionally making contact with the children. And when we did take a moment to tune into the public discourse, we heard very little that addressed our frustration and pain. The war with Iraq, for starters, which had to be one of the greatest non-sequiturs in military history. Attacked by a gang composed largely of Islamic militants from Saudi Arabia, the United States countered by invading an unrelated country— and one of the most secular in the Middle East at that. Briefly fascinated by the toppling of statues and flattening of towns, we rallied to support our troops, although no one could figure out what we were supporting them to do. 
If the war had been launched as a distraction from the corporate scandals of 2002, as one theory goes, it soon became something we needed distraction from. Five years later, and after the hideous revelations of Abu Ghraib, we've spent $505 billion, lost 4,000 American lives, and achieved the status of a pariah among nations. Issues more appropriate to a middle school biology or sex ed class also loomed large. Stem cells, for example. Whole political careers were based on the defense of these wee entities and their slightly larger cousins, the embryos. In sentient forms of life, such as a woman in a vegetative state, excited loud indignation, while the intact and living received barely a nod. In 2005, top Republicans rushed to the bedside of Terry Schiavo, bypassing the thousands of other ailing Floridians hit by Medicaid cuts. Gay marriage was another...